And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real, you're already working hard to earn your money, but how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It's Sunday, September 12th. And today we are continuing our interview with Admiral William McRaven. Um, this was recorded back in 2017 after his book had come out called Make Your Bed, Little Things That Can Change Your Life and Maybe the World. If you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, do so because Admiral McRaven really gives us some detail about uh, the mission to get bin Laden and what it was like to actually talk to the president about the options. In today's part of the interview, we're going to start with the idea that you guys know already, but he really does bang it home that life is really not fair sometimes. And the leadership that McRaven displays and has displayed over his lifetime is, is just a model. So here's the second part of our interview with Admiral William H. McRaven. That life's not fair um, yep. is something that seems to have quite a bit of resonance in a, in your world because unfair things happen all um, the time. You bet. And how do you get through those unfair things? Yeah, you know, again, uh, when we were going through training, uh, the um, there were a lot of folks that felt, it, you know, if they were the best runner that day, then they would be rewarded for that. Uh, if they had the best uniform, they would be rewarded for that. There was this sense of, if I perform well, everything's going to fall into place. But it didn't. Right. And, and the this concept of being a sugar cookie, as I refer to in, in the chapter, a uh, sugar cookie was you, an instructor would just arbitrarily say, uh, you know, McRaven, hit the surf. You had to hit the surf, uh, you know, get, get all wet, then roll around in the sand. And so you're covered head to toe in, in sand. And, you know, there, there was a time when you said, why? I, you know, I, my uniform looked good. Everything was great. Mm -hmm. I should be rewarded for that. And the point was, Sorry, life isn't fair. You're, you're not always going to be rewarded for things. And so this understanding as you go through life that, uh, you know, uh, life isn't fair. You have to get over it. And you can't spend your time, you know, blaming your parents or blaming your circumstances or blaming your bosses. Life's not fair. Um, but if you, if you press on, if you accept the fact that every once in a while things are going to just go, you know, not go your way, 
get over it and move on. And does that mean, though, as as a boss, because you're sure. a boss of a lot of people, that um, that you don't? I mean, really bad things happen. That's one thing. Right. But like when somewhat bad things, do you, are you, are you hardened to that? In other words, I don't know. Like I, I'm feeling like in the military, that's a lesson. Like of course you have to move on. Like we have a mission here. But in an organization, like you know, I'm working at CBS, and like oh, a story gets killed. Life's not fair. Move on. And you know, like you've just spent hours and hours right. doing this. And it is true. But do you get to sit on your pity pot for like five minutes? Yeah, probably every, everybody does for a few minutes, uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's just human nature. Uh, but the point is, don't sit on it for too long. Yeah, uh, like I said, uh, sometimes you you bust your tail and things just don't work out well. Can you talk a little bit about failure? Because I never associate. Um like I guess military and failure as in you know like where how you come through that because sure. I feel like sometimes failure is it's you know can result in the loss of life and injury right. and like so how do you come on the other side of that that's a much more difficult thing than saying oh well life's unfair failure is right. big deal failure is big deal particularly in a combat situation uh, and you know fortunately by the time and uh, I was in combat after 9/11. I was a pretty seasoned SEAL officer. I'd been in about 26 years, and and I've had a I'd had a number of failures, not not combat related, but uh, you know a number of failures in my career. And you know you do the best to show that uh, you're better than your failure. But when it comes to combat, uh, your failures can, in fact, result in in the deaths of uh, civilians, unfortunately, and and some of your soldiers. Um, but but what you have to realize is you have to learn from your mistakes, uh, and particularly in combat, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, combat moves at a pace that, uh, that you don't control sometimes. We always say that the enemy has a vote, so you can build a great plan, uh, but the enemy may not react the way you expected, and unfortunately, you know, every once in a while, you'll lose guys. But a good combat leader recognizes that you, know, you can't sit on your pity pot too long. Uh, you have to say, what did I learn from that? How are we going to do better next time? But you have to be prepared to make the next tough decision as a combat leader. Mm. And, uh, and I think the difference between a great combat leader and a good combat leader is the great ones uh, overcome failure as quickly as possible. They learn from it, um, and, uh, and then they make the next tough decision. Because if you're not prepared to make the next tough decision then you're going to lose more young men and women. And so that's the important thing to recognize in combat. Who inspired you in your career? Oh, a lot of people uh, inspire me uh, in my career. But I'll tell you, in- invariably, uh, probably not uh, who people think. The-, the kids that inspired me were the the young soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines I, I met. The ones that had families uh, with kids. And you'd watch these uh, you know, young soldiers uh, go overseas and come back and then you know eight months later they're back overseas again and they do it year after year after year and the wife stays at home and takes care of the kids uh, or the husband stays at home in some cases and takes care of the kids as the wife is forward um, I mean these are the the men and women that I think are truly inspiring and and they don't you know nobody writes books about them mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're not going to have any monuments uh, built to them but they are you know the the American soldier. And so, you know, they're what's really inspiring. What don't we civilians really understand about the military life? What are some of the things we just don't get and we could never get? Well, I don't know that uh, you could never get it. But, you know, the military life is, uh, is a life of sacrifice. You don't go into the military. A lot of people say, well, why'd you go into the military? And people will say, well, to, to serve my country. And, and certainly people want to serve their country. But... Most young men and women that go into the military, I think initially there's this kind of sense of a challenge. You know, I want to make it through basic training. I want to make it through SEAL training or Ranger training. 
And then there's a little sense of adventure. You go from a challenge to an adventure, and now, you know, you're in the SEALs, and in my case, you know, you're traveling around the world, you're jumping out of airplanes, you're locking out of submarines, you have this adventure, and then at some point in time in your career, it kind of becomes a profession. But then after that, it becomes a calling. And, and that's really kind of when you hit your peak. For me, the calling really came after 9-11. What I saw with the young men and women that came in right after 9-11 was, you know, they jumped, uh, you know, my 26 years, and, and within a short period of time, they had gone from the challenge, the adventure, the profession to a calling. And that calling required sacrifice. Um, and so I, it's just hard to appreciate the sacrifice of these young soldiers day in and day out going on combat missions, uh, year after year deploying, uh, every couple of years moving uh, their family from one geographic location to the next, and now their kids have got to make uh, new friends in school. Um, I mean, th- these are the sacrifices, but I will tell you, you know, uh, almost any soldier you talk to will tell you that uh, they are happy uh, to sacrifice that, uh, that uh, they love the job they're doing, they're proud to serve this nation, and, uh, and so we're happy to bear that, uh, bear that burden and, and bear that sacrifice. You talk about rising to the occasion, and I feel like, you know, you're, you're in this dangerous place and you're trained in a certain way, you are going to rise to the occasion. But how do civilians rise to the occasion in your lives? How do you see that playing out? Yeah, you know, sometimes I think it's just something deep, deep inside that comes up when a dark moment occurs. I don't know that you can plan for it. I don't know that you can prepare for it. I don't know that even the the soldiers I've met fully prepare for it. You know, when you lose a loved one, I don't care whether you lose them on the battlefield or you lose them in a car accident or they die of cancer. Um you know, you find out really who you are in those dark moments. And I think we all have it inside us. And and the point of the book is, you know, you don't have to be a, a superhero to rise to the occasion. Um, but, you know, dig deep. It, it's in there. Um, and the people around you are going to need you to rise to that occasion when bad things happen. Uh, so, you know, th- this is more of... Um, of of a hope that people that read the book will realize that they have it within themselves uh, to be this person when difficult things happen. In your career, as you look back, were you able to identify people who you said, that guy, that woman, that's a leader? Absolutely. Be- easily? Pretty easily. Yeah. And what are some of those attributes that would make you poised to be a leader? Yeah, they are generally people persons. You know, they... Uh, they understand how to build a team, as we, we talked about. Uh, they recognize that it's not about them. They are kind of a, a servant leader. I mean, I think the great leaders are servant leaders. Um, you know, I, I love this saying from, from Pope Francis that, you know, uh, a shepherd should smell like his sheep. And I, I think, you know, we have learned that in the military that great leaders are the ones that are out with the troops. And I don't care whether you're a non-commissioned officer, uh, you know, to be a great leader, You've got to be out. You've got to suffer the hardships. You have to you have to lead from the front, as we say. Sometimes leading from the front is literally jumping out of the airplane first. Sometimes leading from the front is being the last in the chow line to get chow. Um, but leading from the front means setting the example and, and and doing the difficult things. You don't have to be the best at everything. In fact, great leaders are rarely the best at everything. But they've got to respect the people that work for them. Uh, they've got to they've got to be able to build the team around them. And and you can see that pretty quickly. I mean, there are some folks that are a little too full of themselves, that uh, think they always have the right plan, uh, that they're the smartest man or woman in the room. 
those people you have to be a little bit careful of. Now, every once in a while, they turn out to be great leaders as well. But I tell you, more times than not, it's that man or woman who knows how to build a team, who is the servant leader, who respects the people that work for them, uh, and who sets the example and does things that are moral, legal, and ethical. When you look at, say, corporate America now, and you maybe read stories in the papers about this CEO does this or this malfeasance of that, uh, I I can only imagine that somebody like you, a true leader who's selfless in many ways, uh, you know, that that really must pain you in some ways to, to, to read stories or hear things like that. Well, you know, we're not perfect in the military, but I think as an organization, we work hard to instill the right values in people. And, and I think most of uh, the men and women I've worked uh, with in the military uh, adhere to those values. But, you know, again, I have one litmus test for every decision we make. And as I said, you have to do things that are moral, legal and ethical. And if your decision, you know, you know passes that litmus test, then it's probably a good decision. And most leaders know when things aren't moral, legal, or ethical. It's not always easy to be good, though. Um, the, you know, the circumstances that swirl around you sometimes where not, nobody's perfect. Uh, and again, we're going to make mistakes. And sometimes as hard as you try to be moral, legal, and ethical, it doesn't work out. And, you, you know, you're, we talk about your integrity being the most important thing, but, but frankly, you're the only one that can lose your integrity. And it happens sometimes. Um, again, that's that's a time when you just have to say, "Look, I made a mistake. Uh, I'm I'm going to figure out how to do better next time and and move on." Thanks so much for listening, and um, we can't thank everyone like Admiral McRaven who served and who was impacted by 9/11. And I especially want to give a shout out to anyone who is in the military or was in the military during the last 20 years. There's a lot of people who are impacted by that. My family has been impacted by that. And I want everyone to know that we are appreciative of that service. And most of us uh, get the benefits of that service and have nothing that we have to give up for it. And so this is a moment just to remember that not just lifting someone up, but lift somebody up or reach out to somebody who you know may have been affected by the 9-11 attacks and somebody who you think might need a a pick-me-up on this uh, weekend, the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. So go out and do that. Put your hands metaphorically on someone's back. And boy, if you need it more than ever, the mantra is grit, growth, grace, gratitude. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.